Before we begin part two, I would like to borrow your attention for a moment. Taoism is a perception of being, and it is also a personal practice. Traditionally, Taoist practice includes movement, meditation, breathwork, and a tangible reunion with Tao and with many energetic phenomena. That is why I practice and teach Qigong, because I enjoy a tangible way to explore my Taoist journey. After the changes to our culture in 2020, we are all spending more time at home, more time under pressure, more time looking at screens, and more time finding other ways to support our families. Now is a great time to learn Qigong and to stay fit and healthy. And it is an ideal time to train, practice, and become a Qigong teacher. If you are interested, the teacher training programs that I offer all begin with a 200-hour program, which can take from one to two years to complete. You can learn more at somadaoqigong.com, S-O-M-A-D-A-O-Q-I-G-O-N-G, the link will be in the show notes. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Enjoy the rest of the episode. So welcome back to part two. We were just about to go over the four characters that, that Michael had mentioned in the first part. So we can get a little bit deep, deeper into some really interesting Taoist teachings here. So for those of you watching, I'm just shifting the screen over to... Um, so we can all see these characters. And for people who are listening, you're gonna, you'll be able to find the characters in the show notes um, where you find the podcast. So... You can look at these characters while you're listening to it, if you like. Um, I'll describe them to, to the best of my ability. And uh, no, Alex, please feel free to help me out with trying to describe these characters um, as we get into them. Um, but this is the, the teaching I was given on the actual practice uh, called Walking in a Good Way. And this actually comes from one way of describing or translating the term Dao de Jing. So when we think of the the word, uh, well, how would have you? What, what are the translations you've heard for the the book Dao de Jing? Well, the first thing that came to mind was that a lot of the titles on the books have been D A O and then T E H. Some have been D E H, um, and for Dao, a lot of them start with a T instead as well. Yeah, I'm thinking more about the no. translation than the spelling. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I just bring that up because one way to translate Tao Te Ching is walking in a good way or the classic on how to walk in a good way. And from an indigenous perception of Taoist practice, that would be, I think, the most authentic way to translate the title of that book. So um, let's get into looking at these Chinese characters. So 
The first character is the character for Dao. And if you've never seen it before, it's the picture of uh, a person referring to themselves. And that character we called Zi, and it's a person actually using their thumb to point at their nose or their chest, which is in Chinese culture a way of saying, this is about like my experience, right? It's a, there's a different way of saying my name or, you know, my, my, my job or my hobby. But to, to, to point to yourself and talk about your, your subjective experience is, a, is a, again, contextual. And it invites anyone you're talking to to kind of empathize with you. So that, that's the central part of the character for Dao. Above that, that part there um, is basically the character for what you would call um, a headdress, right? And in some translations, that's a specific way of tying up your hair. And for, you know, a thousand years in Chinese history, the way you tied your hair had a lot to do with who you were and, you know, whether or not you were, uh, you know, like, say, a wealthy person or a powerful person or a slave or something like that. But a long, long time ago, like every indigenous culture in the world, people used to walk around with a lot of stuff tied into their hair, like feathers or bones and, you know, maybe antlers and stuff like that. So uh, one way of thinking of this character is a picture of a person feeling the way that it feels to be a human being who would have some kind of headdress with feathers and bones in it. On the left of the character is kind of a little dot with a squiggly line. And that line or that part of the character describes what it's like to move as nature moves. So that, that, that's what the character looks like and kind of breaks down into. So if I was to ask you, Alex, what is the most common translation that you have heard for the word Tao? Just way, basically. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like simplified, like a, as if there were a little tra literal translation. I, I would just say Tao is just, yeah, just the way of weighing itself. <laughs> the way of the universe, I guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> and in Chinese, it can be used to actually mean a road or a path or how to like follow directions in, in some ways. And um, that's obviously, you know, languages change over time. But um, from the, say, Qigong meditation uh, aspects, of, aspects of Tao's practice, when we think of the character Tao, what we're being asked to do is reflect on the experience of a person who would live that way. Because that would be the path, the path of nature, the path of being a true human being, of being trun run, right? Of, of being, you know, uh, in, a, in alignment with, with the world around you, right? So he, here's a really interesting um, thing about the Tanek language, Navajo language. In that language, when we talk about, say, if I was to say, I would use a word and I was referring to myself, there's no word in that language for I. Like me. Instead, there's a part of, there's a way we express words, usually in the middle of the word, that describes the experience of this one of. So right now, I'm this one of the two of us on this conversation, but I'm also this one of everyone who's listening to this podcast throughout the rest of time, which is kind of weird to think about, but. <laughs> 
right? So you're this one of, you know, in the way that it's specifically and subjectively your experience. And sometimes I think that that's maybe the easiest way to make the distinction between modern cultures and ancient cultures is in ancient cultures, you only mattered as much as you could participate collaboratively with other people. Because what you were all doing together, the of experience, you know, we're all, you know, I'm this one of the people trying to, you know, go and, you know, go hunting and get food. So that becomes more meaningful than me. And that's very reflected in the language and in the experience. So that's one quality of Tao that's really important to remind people about is it's an invitation to reconnect to your subjective experience of, because you're one of all life in the universe. You're not the only one trying to figure out, you know, the answer in some, you know, deterministic way, although it might feel like it sometimes, right? So there's this, there's this other expression that I think is also um, helpful in, in helping people kind of touch in with this. Have you ever heard this expression, fish aren't aware of water? That's a new one. Are they aware of water? Hmm. Okay. Okay. So so how does what how, what do you mean by that? <laughs> 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 I mean, we're, we're all aware of gravity. We're all aware that there's an atmosphere. And I mean, we've all gone to school. So we have a lot of ways to think about those as things or as theories. But if you go back at, you know, even a, a few thousand years or you go to some, you know, part of the world where people are still living very simply, they're not aware of the natural world as separate. Right? If you're a fish, you're reaching into the universe with your fins and shaking hands with the universe. Now, the universe at that point might be made of water, but you're not aware of it as water. You're just aware of that's how you move through life. So to say fish aren't aware of water is kind of a reminder that you can be. Right? On a deep animal instinctual level, we don't really need to be aware of the Tao or of the, the ocean. But if we want to be really good at swimming and we want to have more compassion about everyone else who's learning to swim and, you know, move through their life in a meaningful way or walk in a good way, or maybe in this metaphor, swim in a good way. <laughs> it's up to each of us to learn to reach with our fins into the Tao, um, you know, into the ocean and learn to feel more and connect more and be more aware of things that are previously unconscious or invisible and to learn to move in that way. And then you become the land and you become, you know, really connected to the life around you. I've actually noticed through practicing Tai Chi that you can sort of feel almost a texture to the air sometimes while you're moving at just the right speed. It's sort of like becoming aware of the water. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's the perfect example, right? Because the, the more we can touch in with things that we couldn't feel before, now what is tangible is getting deeper and more subtle. Our practice gets more subtle. And instead of knowing what we feel and, you know, trying to put that in the bank in the accumulative sense, what we've learned to do is reach into the water with our fins, reach into the air with our fingers, reach into life with our life. And it, it turns out that the reaching is what brings us home, not the knowing. 
Awesome. You know, because I, I, I guarantee if we had this conversation again in 10 years, you would have 10 years more to say about reaching in with your Tai Chi experience and feeling, you know, what's passing through your fingers and your hands, right? Looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, let's let's have that conversation in 10 years. It, it's a date. <laughs> so the next character in the teaching on walking in a good way is De, like Dao De Ching. So as we've been doing, Alex... What would you usually translate to as? This one's a little tougher. It just seems like, man, uh, almost like of the essence of, perhaps. Is it is it a linking descriptive type of word? Could be. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's contextual. You can use it in a lot of ways. Sure, sure. How would you How would you use it? Uh, well, I'm going to get into that in, in <laughs> a lot of detail in a moment. I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to draw the listeners in, you know, bit by bit. And it's also, I, I guess, I'm aware that a lot of our listeners probably have read a lot and, and maybe even practiced a lot of things around Taoism. So I want to include the, the way modern people think about it. Because it's translated often, at least in my experience, as virtue or power. Oh, that's way better. Right. <laughs> Uh, it has nothing to do really with what the character means in, in a way, but in the modern sense, in the accumulative sense, virtue is better than a lack of virtue. And power, it really depends on what you're going to do with it. Because that comes again to that that subtle question in Taoism, can you be a good king and have your boot on the throats of other people in the sense of being powerful and still be human? So I'm going to take the character apart, and this one's a bit tricky. So I always begin describing this character by showing you people that it begins in the middle with the character for your eye, but what it's like to look through your eye into the world. So for some reason, I think of like putting my hand over my eyes to kind of shade my eyes so I can look as far as I can into the world. Kind of like we talk about reaching with Tai Chi. Above that character for looking into the world, is a character that uh, can have a few different meanings, but from that indigenous kind of perception of, of uh, Taoism, it would be uh, the center of a compass to look in the four directions, because in Chinese medicine and Taoism, the four directions and the five elements are, are kind of fundamental to the way the universe works. And that's also true with, with a lot of Aboriginal teachings. So the first part is look into the world but look into the world in the four directions or look into the four seasons or the four parts of your day or the, the four aspects of your nature. And then below that, there's the, the part of the character for unity and harmony. And below that is the character or radical for your heart. Wow. So, so for me, when I look at that character, I go, okay, look in the four directions until your heart is at peace. All right. You know, and then on the left side of the character is a bunch of people cooperating and moving somewhere together. Well, this is great. <laughs> that, covers, <laughs> that covers a beautiful existence right there. Yeah. So imagine again, if we go back, you know, to, you know, the Mike had a stroke thing or Michael had a stroke thing. Um, or we decide to take a moment and reflect on what it would feel like to live 10,000 years ago. The only way decisions got made by this one of and you being this one of and say there's 20 other people in our tribe and we all decide to sit down in a circle in the morning, 
look around at the world around us, the season, the day, who's hungry, who's not hungry, who has, you know, more than they need, who doesn't have anything, and decide what we're all going to do that day, you know, in the sense of looking in the four directions and until everyone's heart is at peace and we're all kind of unified in our intention so that we can get up and walk together and have a very collaborative, efficient, and effective day so that we can all live healthier, happier lives. So for me, I think, yeah, I can see how people got to virtue with that. I question how that turns into power, although I can see that a group of people are more powerful and each of us is more efficient at helping the people around us when we look at what that character implies. Um, so I don't really have a, an easy English translation for that, except, you know, collaborating with everyone and everything around you in a tangible and meaningful way. There's definitely a power to a coordinated group of people who really understand each other and, and, and work together and care and love and communicate. <laughs> that sounds yeah. good. Yeah, unless those people have decided to club everyone else on the head around them so that they can grow more food stored and, and you know, not share. That would be and, very rude. Yep, yeah, that's not and, ideal, no. And that's the Taoist conundrum is that at what point have you turned into the problem yourself by solving all of your problems? Right? So that's the character for the one of my favorite, you know, characters because it asks us to be collaborative. It asks us to share. It asks us to listen. It asks us to slow our roll. If I could, you know, speak like I'm, you know, a modern dude and say, slow your roll, man. You got to, you got to look in those four directions. You got to connect to the natural world. You got to look at what's going on and, you know, really, really feel into the flow of the world or else you're just out there just fighting against everything that's going on that isn't helping you. Exactly. It's like surfing. Uh, I was going to say, this is obviously a really great way to be. Yeah. And it's a great way to be in your practice. I'm not here to get to the finish line. I'm here to connect to what's happening around me, to look into the world and see how I see it. And then find a way to, f to get to the place where my heart is unified with life, where I'm at peace. And then whatever happens is going to flow and, and be uh, beneficial to everyone. Perfect. You know, so, so, so that that that's uh, that's that character, and when you put Dao and Du together, you know that's how you get to walking in a good way. But there's two more teachings, uh, and these all have to do with the, the the deepest principles and foundational teachings in the Tao Te Ching. So, you ready for the next one? Absolutely. <laughs> nice. Okay, here we go. So, the next one, the next primary fundamental teaching in the Tao Te Ching is called Tsiran. Uh, do you have a, a sense of that? What, what what that means? It brings up Ziran Men, which is kind of just a martial arts thing, but it's mm -hmm. mostly standing meditation. So uh, could be. It wasn't. Well, I just for what I was learning about it, there was a lot of that. It was it was supposed to be about training your reflexes mm -hmm. and using your back of your brain, the lizard brain part, and and just getting in tune with yourself essentially just moving without this preconceived motion of what that is right. just fill, filling the space and, and you learned uh Tsaran with uh Tsaran men with me or with someone else yeah that was with you and uh, yeah, i picked up a few other 
things along the way from people. Yeah, that's one of my that's one of my favorite martial arts. But I guess what I'm asking is, do you, do you have a sense of what the term tsaran means in Taoism? I feel like it's it's about coming into being. Yeah, yeah maybe close. Well, I suppose. Getting there. <laughs> the, the the most the most common translation I think of tsaran man is to be spontaneous or to be hmm. aware of your nature. Okay. You know, as as your kind of instinctual kind of like animal nature. That makes sense. You know, and from the Tsaran Man martial art, that's kind of the idea is be your instinctual animal self. So let's let's look at the characters so that, that the people who are listening can have a sense of, you know, what this is about. So uh, there's two characters, Tsa and Ren, and I talked about Tsa before, and that's the central character for Dao. It's the picture of someone pointing at themselves, referring to their personal subjective experience. You know, this is what it's like to be me. And this is like so fun to share with people because it's so unexpected. The character for Ran, which is often translated as, you know, the nature of nature. It's a picture of somebody cooking their dog. Poor puppy. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Uh, He just wanted a friend and now... You know, he shows up for dinner, he becomes dinner. I don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's, um, but so just looking at it here, it's the part on the left that's the dog, or? Okay, so at the bottom is a cooking fire, okay. right? Kind of like a barbecue, but more like a, a baking your food in a bunch of coals. Okay. On the right is the character for a loyal dog, someone who walks beside you and helps you in the world. And on the left side is a picture for a chunk of flesh like a rib cage. I could see the ribs. Yeah. The symbol on the right also looks like the character for person, right? Kind of where just it's a person standing. It's like a five point. It's similar to that, is it? Or Yeah, well, it's, it's a person walking and doing things in the world with a specific kind of help, which is your dog. So... Um, the question usually comes up, why would the character for cooking a dog be a central thing in Taoism? <laughs> and how the hell does that turn into your nature, right? Reasonable. Yep. I, I would also venture that question, actually. And for some reason, I was just like, yep, of course, you know, <laughs> you bet. <laughs> a soul. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds good. Um, so yeah, why, why cooking a dog? I mean, could it be a cat? Um, (laughs) I've never known cats to do what dogs will do. Yeah, I should say, yeah, I've never known a cat to be a loyal helper the way a dog would be. But so again, um, and and I'm, I'm, I have to make this joke. I I, I don't want to keep beating the same drum, but if I look at this from an, an indigenous point of view, um, and as an Aboriginal education educator that, you know, that's one of my side gigs when I have spare time and people ask me to, you know, go to the local college and talk about, uh, Aboriginal culture and, and history and teachings and stuff like that. There are many cultures in the world, actually, uh, actually where you live in Calgary in Canada, Alex, uh, a lot of the Plains people around there, the, 
the the blood people, the uh, Blackfoot people below them, the Blackfeet people, <clears throat> some of the Lakota, Nakota, Dakota people, um, they had what is called a dog feast ceremony. And this is a really, it's, this has got two really like deep, raw human parts to it. So it might be a bit triggering for people, but sometimes in life, especially when life is made by cycles and ruled by nature and, you know, call it karma, good luck or bad luck. But sometimes you get so hungry that, you know, the only way to keep yourself and your people alive is to eat your dog. Bummer. That's, that's not ideal. Not ideal at all because dogs, well, they're friends. I mean, come on. That's not an easy choice to make. It's not meant to be about easy. Yeah. It's meant to be about okay. the nature of nature. Oof. Because she's a really great teacher, but she's also a really, really tough mistress. Right? So it's asking us to notice the nature of life is pretty chaotic and pretty ruthless at times. But if you're uh, aligned with nature, you know, you're, you're aware of how things move and you're as skillful as you can be and collaborative as you can be, at least you have the best chance you and your people can come up with. You know, and, and that, that is spoken about in so many subtle ways in, in the Tao Te Ching, especially around this character, Tsaran, or this, this term. So nowadays, and, and, and when people are healthy and happy and, and there is abundance in the community, these people around the world and around where you live, at least up until recently, even if they were doing well, once a year, they would sacrifice a dog and make a big pot of stew and eat that dog as an offering and a celebration and an awareness of the humility you need to honor the nature of nature. Okay, I get it. That's a good symbolism. Right. Still too bad about the dog. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I, again, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, like I said, it could be triggering for, you know, any of us who've ever worked in an animal shelter, but um, yeah. it, it's, it's not to, meant to be about the cruelty. It's about the fact that, I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll just dive into something that's going to scare the crap out of a lot of people. Um, one of my passions has to do with restoring the soil of the world, especially in parts of the world where uh, there's a lot of food insecurity because... If we keep living the way we're living and farming the way we're farming, we have about 60 years of topsoil to grow food. And then we can't support our population anymore. So unless we start to get right with who we are, how we exist as human beings in the natural world, and recognize we have to collaborate with nature, there's going to be a lot of dogs being cooked in a lot of messy ways around the world. And I'm sorry to say it that way. But it's to bring up not just a celebration of amazing Taoist teachings, it's to bring us into the experience of, right, we all have to touch in with the truth of what nature has to teach us. And then walking in a good way is about making sure every one of us gets to live a long, healthy, happy life, including our dog. Right? So it's a, it's a weird thing to share with people, but it's also a really powerful reminder Right. Yeah, things can go south pretty quick. That's life. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> it's good to 
keep that perspective and, and do as much as we can to prevent that from happening and yeah. just appreciate the times that it has happened. Acknowledge that that's where we've learned a lot of our biggest lessons. So uh, we are teaching, but when it comes to the idea of your natural uh, existence, your spontaneity, your, your, your deepest aspects of being, we're asked to feel into that part of the world, that part of the universe and that part of ourself so that we can find the most uh, effective and efficient and alive way of being nature itself, right? So weird one, but a really powerful one because it isn't, again, just about a fancy idea. It's about kind of coming back to the truth and the rough and tumble aspects of life. Okay, the last one. And the, probably the, the most commonly uh, spoken about aspects of, of Tao's practice is called Wu Wei. So, Alex, how would you translate Wu Wei? Uh, doing without doing. Mm -hmm. And it's, as a way of applying that, I suppose, natural behaviors. Uh, it makes me think about just being in the right place at the right time and things like that as well. Mm -hmm. So what about you? What would you, I mean, these characters are beautiful. It looks like there's another fire. <laughs> uh, yeah, they both, both characters have that, that symbol for kind of a cooking fire. And that, that symbol also just means a process of transformation or uh, a process of working on something. So trying to describe these characters is a lot harder because they're a lot more complicated. So if I look at the character for Wei, in the sense of Wu Wei, um, it really just describes what it's like to apply yourself to solving a problem. You know, and again, I, I, it's hard to describe the character in, in pieces because, uh, yeah, it's just very complicated. But... If we look at the, the experience of trying to solve a problem or invest in a process to keep certain things happening in the world um, or to discover something new in the world, the question is, how are you going about that? Are you going about that in that cyclic way? Are you going about that, you know, with a club in your hand to just knock things out of your way? There's a lot of ways to go about getting things done and solving problems and discovering new things. And it has a lot to do with just how we grow and learn in the sense of what the word way means. You know, and, and there's, there's lots of uh, subtler uses of it. The term Wu is uh, often described, often translated as like non or, or no nothingness or, or things like that. It's actually, the character is, um, again, the little picture for the cooking fire. And then people going into, uh, I think it's 40 people going into a forest to cut it down. Okay, so is that like the four lines going vertically, like the people kind of just going out together? Yeah, so that, that that's the, the that, of all the ways I've heard that character described and translated, that's been my, my favorite description is people going, 40 people going into the forest to, you know, cut wood. And the reason why that character has so many subtle meanings is what does that actually mean for the forest? Well, the forest will lose a few trees, but the folks will have a few new houses by the sounds of it, staying warm through the winter, things like that. And if that, there's so. 40 people doing this, yeah, eventually, 
diminishing the forest. And eventually. Oh, if there more people came and less trees and so on and so on, just like we're seeing now. Yeah. So there, there's sort of the environmental, you know, nod to let's not, you know, rip everything apart. But Chinese is very subtle and contextual. So if we're talking about something like um, a teaching we might call non-attachment or non-interference or non-conflict or non-delusion, there's, there's a lot of wisdom teachings, especially in Buddhism, that are actually framed that way. Now, there's an interesting choice in this term because I could say anti-conflict, anti-attachment. Right, non-separation, anti-separation, right? So if I'm experiencing a sense of separation and I want to heal that, what would happen if I spent, I sent 40 people into the forest of separation and the imminent attrition over time of that forest or the experience of separation would eventually, you know, bring about the experience of non-separation, It's, it seems like if you're cutting down more trees, you're more separated, or maybe... It's not about the trees. The it's not about trees. It's about the experience of imminent attrition. So if I have cancer, and I want cancer to go away, I'm a doctor, <laughs> it's, a, it's a regular conversation, what we want to do is attack the processes, the trees, that cause cancer. Gotcha. Because we want the imminent attrition, and some people have used the term annihilation, but I get into trouble using that word, but um, the imminent attrition or the, you know, destruction of the cancer. Because if Wu Wei means non-effort, uh, you know, or extreme effort or, or whatever, I'm trying to reduce the unconsciousness of the effort. Some people say it's non-doing, which I think is a little bit odd, but, you know, it's about how you're going about the doing uh, Wu Wei is used a lot in Taoist alchemic practices and in, in Nadan practice and Nagong practice because when you get into the deeper subtle aspects of breath work and breath holds and breath work that, you know, lights up your pineal gland and all this other stuff, um, there's this, you know, uh, awareness that you have to kind of keep your um, attention and intention always kind of playing a subtle game of my intention is to go deeper into my qigong, but I have to focus on my attention to feel into the experience. And the more I bring my attention into the way I feel my subtle breath work, the more my intention can be surgically precise, but subtle. But if I get too caught up in the surgical precision and start to get pushy, now I'm probably going to make a mistake. And a really, that's a fundamental like 20-year-long journey in, in meditation and Taoist practice between a quality of what we call E, which is either attent or intent. I bring my attention and then I bring my intention, but I have to keep going back and forth almost like every second to stay in awareness. And the strengths are definitely built together. Yeah. So Wu Wei in the, you know, kind of over, overall sense means the imminent attrition of everything that is between you and where you're going. 
in the sense of your spiritual path, in the sense of your healing journey, in the sense of awakening to the, the big truth and the aha moments, but you can't go there with control. You can't go there with some kind of intense hurry because you can only kind of cut down the tree in front of you. And I know tr cutting down trees is a terrible analogy when we just talked about the attrition of soil and having to cook your dog. But Chinese is, is it's, it's, it's about imagery and, and, and meaning. So if we, if we go back into the indigenous frame of reference, which is, you know, what I like to bring up to people, one of the most core ethics of Taoist society, Buddhist society, ancient indigenous cultures from Asia, and almost every indigenous culture I've ever researched or had time had a chance to spend any time with, their primary social and cultural ethic is non-interference, or said another way, to honor and celebrate each person's autonomy. Right, because if if Taoist practice, and we've talked about this, you know, throughout our three episodes, if Taoist practice is to transcend the mundane and remove your conditioning, what you're actually doing is trying to regain your innate, inborn autonomy. It's like getting out of your own way, getting more in touch with yourself. Yeah, and that's kind of what what Zoran implies is somewhere within you is the whole you wanting to come into the world as just you as nature intended, perhaps. So if that's true of you, and we live in a culture that embraces this one of, every person I meet in the sense of, you know, indigenous Taoism is on the journey towards their autonomy. They're an impeccable, messed up and beautiful expression of the universe, just like me. So the best thing I can do is not interfere with their journey. And that's that ethic of non-interference. And if you study Buddhism, they talk about non-interference and all these other, uh, you know, teachings that start with non, like non-attachment and non-separation and, and things like that. A really huge part of Taoism is non-interference. And you can mean that in the sense of don't try too hard, don't be pushy, don't be arrogant, don't be impatient. But the teaching in the sense of the walking with the people together and collaborating, it isn't just about you anymore. So non-interference is about you learning to be you, but it's going to work even better if you let everybody else learn to be them as them. And I have to say that this is the hardest thing for me when I'm working in a clinic, because my job all day, every day is to tell people what to do. As a martial arts and Qigong teacher and Nagong teacher and other things that I do, my job is to explain to people step by step what to do. <laughs> it's a little conflicting, I can see. Well, it just in invites us, you know, both of us are teachers in the way that we are, to be really mindful that we're trying to share things with people and there's probably ways to do it that honor that person's autonomy. I think helping them continue to grow for themselves kind of thing. Yeah, and as themselves and as the world and as a magical expression of whatever the Tao is Taoing, the universe is the universe. Yeah, right? exactly. That, that makes everything 
and every conversation and every internal dialogue you have with yourself a sacred journey, a sacred interaction, and a chance to really be um, a person who is walking in a good way. All right. And there are a lot of levels to that. There's always <laughs> a lot of levels to Taoism. And, and we had had a conversation earlier, um, not that long ago, um, about how Taoism is often seen and, and, and thought of as this fairly lazy, floppy, hippie, easy, flowy, you know, you don't have to try anything, do anything, or, or all of that. And then when you look at Taoist practice, it's this constant layer-by-layer -layer sequence of careful, mindful effort in a direction. So that's, that's a, a tricky thing for people who are learning about Taoism is it isn't about don't try or don't do anything. It's about be super aware of where you're coming from when you feel pushy or impatient. Keep moving in the direction of transcending the mundane conditioning you have. Keep focusing on your breath like we talked about earlier. You know, now you have three elastics to play with and they're rubbing against each other somewhere in your tummy. And <laughs> there's lots to do in the sense of non-doing. But it's not anti-doing. It's the attrition of unconscious, impatient, aggressive, and intense aspects of effort. You know, I think my, my favorite way of describing most aspects of Taoist practice is think of that trust game we used to play as kids where you, you know, you stretch your arms out and someone stands behind you and you fall backwards and there they are. You hope that they're still there so they don't land on your head. So we're, we're, we are trying to move in the direction of trusting the universe and we have to risk falling on our head to do so. So you don't have to be a bull in the china shop to get where you're going, but you do have to take a step and another step and another step to get where you're going. So I always like to remind people, you know, it's about attrition. It's about attrition of confusion, about uh, ego, um, about the delusions and the conditioning we have as people and about our insecurities and our traumas. And, you know, there's ancestral trauma that goes back 20 generations that you can measure in your genetics. So we all have, have stuff to work out, but we have to find that balance between working on the one who's working it out and being very discerning about the kind of effort we apply to working stuff out. But you're not going to get anywhere just sitting there, you know, going, well, man, cool, whatever. Yeah, apathy is not the key to empathy. <laughs> wow, well, thank you for saying that, man. That 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 that's that's all we really needed to say. We'll just put that at the you know top of the show and give people a break from listening to me talk. <laughs> it's different. It's pretending to be the same thing, but it's it's easy the easy way out, and it's just insincere, right? Yeah. So that that's the the traditional teaching on the Tao Te Ching in the sense of walking in a good way, and kind of the four pillars that are. Um, held in the teachings in that book. And, and I would encourage anyone who's read that book to read a few different translations. And, um, you know, if you can eventually learn to, to read it in Chinese, because it's a very, very different book. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I would love to be able to look at these uh, beautiful, these characters and, and explain them as well as you. So maybe a little practice and, <laughs> continuing the reviews on those things like wow yeah.
So that, that's, uh, I guess that's episode three. If there's anything else you want to uh, ask or think about or share with people. Um, but that's the teaching of walking in a good way and the, the kind of fundamental message of the Tao Te Ching. That's huge. That's a lot of information for one episode. And it's all really helpful stuff, but it does stick to the continued theme of authenticity, of patience and understanding and presence consistency and harmony with nature and ourselves mm -hmm. <laughs> See, and it seems to be and having fun yeah it seems to be that we're nature naturing universes universing and all that good stuff so i'm okay with that <laughs> that sounds fun yeah do the trust game it's a lot more fun yeah let's try that out <laughs> So uh, the next episode is called uh, The Way of Enough, and it's a teaching uh, called Chong Tzu Dao. And it uh, is a part of the core practices of uh, traditional Taoist um, kind of day-to-day -day life. So we'll, we'll get into that a bit next time. Sounds great. So it's a good way to apply things we've been talking about in the first three into something more that you can then just do day-to-day. Uh, yep. Yeah, you'll 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 be uh, surprised at how um, easy it is as a container to keep a lot of wisdom in a very very simple way in your mind. I look forward to talking about that. Sounds like a very useful mental tool. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Primordial Dao, Present Dao. This was episode three, Walking in a Good Way. If you have any questions or comments, please leave them wherever you found this episode. You can also find us on Facebook. Please like, share, rate, and review. Have a great day, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for exploring and enjoying Primordial Dao, Present Dao. We look forward to sharing more in the next episode.